Welcome to Doing Theology, Thinking Mission, where we talk about the biblical text in cultural context. Welcome to Doing Theology, Thinking Mission. My name is Werner, and I am joined by... Hey, it's Carrie. This is Jackson. And uh, Yes, sir. go ahead, Jackson. Uh, yeah, uh, I was going to let uh, readers know that, our listeners know that uh, today is a really cool, different type of podcast because there's a little bit more of an, uh, an equipping component to this than a uh, thought provocation or informing dynamic. Um, but also, the title could be a little bit intimidating because it talks about hermeneutics, and people go, "Well, what's that?" Um, what we want to talk about today is what are uh, at least four different approaches uh, to interpreting the Bible, you know, missionally. And uh, uh, you guys all read this article. Uh, just for listeners out there, we're going to be uh, basing a lot of this conversation off of an article that was written, let's see, 2011 by George Hunsberger. And it was published in the Missiology Journal, and the title of the article was called Proposals for a Missional Hermeneutic, Mapping a Conversation. So when I read through this, I thought, you know what, I think our listeners would really benefit from thinking through what are different ways that you can read the Bible missionally. Because especially if we're doing theology thinking mission, well, this seems like to be to me to be like the essence of the centerpiece of kind of all that we're doing really um so uh what do you guys think of the article in, in general well i thought it was a very fine article um i love the way that he breaks it down into these four different views of missional hermeneutics and i thought that uh his point about that no one view of a missional view of scripture is really sufficient to adequately give us the most robust view of a missional reading of scripture. And so, you know, he's proposing a synergy of missional readings of the Bible, which is, you know, really, really great, I think. And uh, yeah, so that was my, my take on it. What about you, Carrie? Yeah, I thought it was good as well. One of the things I'm looking forward to in this conversation is maybe breaking down even further these four views. Because as I read it, I'm like, gosh, it feels like there's a lot of overlap with some real minor tweaks to each one. So I'm curious to hear from you two, you know, the things that you were able to kind of pull out that are differences. But full disclosure, I'm currently in seminary under Mike Goheen. And so they talk about Mike Goheen and his (laughs) missional perspective in the article. So I found myself under that one being like, well, of course, this is like the way to read scripture. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm maybe walking into this with a little bit of a bent. So I'm excited, you know, to get that perspective stretched a little bit. So, yeah, it was good. Well, I don't think there's the- anything wrong. Well, if I could just jump in. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah, there's yeah. anything wrong with um, acknowledging our bias toward a missional reading of Scripture. Uh, obviously, mm. there are other readings of the Bible, but as followers of Christ, as devoted Christians, you know, the, the idea that we are um, uh, 
expounding on the, a missional reading of Scripture is wholly consistent with who we are personally, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm all for uh, uh, reflecting on this with the understanding that we have perhaps a bias towards a missional reading of the Bible. So that's yeah, that's all good for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... You know, having a bias isn't a big deal to me. It's more acknowledging it so at least can be tempered. Uh, And so let's see, figure out which one of these four approaches that we tend to have um, have uh, most affinity to. But we need to find our terms. So we talked about missional hermeneutics. Hermeneutics seems like a big educated word, Uh, but it's just basically the the science of interpretation um, for people. And so a missional hermeneutics, missional interpretation is, you know, just this idea of interpreting the Bible, developing a theology of the Bible with mission in mind. And so when we talk about missional theology, it's not another term for theology of missions. Um, That requires us to distinguish another set of words, right? Uh, Mission Mm -hmm. versus missions. Now, uh, so sometimes people talk about that distinction. I don't want to presume anything about what your your guys have, have talked have thought and talked about how do you guys hear people distinguish mission and missions i think that maybe very succinctly it would be typically that the conversation of missions is an overseas cross-cultural context in some form or fashion missional i've heard used <laughs> i've heard used a ton as far as even just living like jesus to your neighbors to reading the Bible in terms of a a, a store a, a meta narrative, I feel like the word missional has become an umbrella to kind of shove a lot of things under, as far as just being being Jesus to <laughs> to the people around you. And so, I actually feel that missional is is a word that would be helpful as for us to really mm. unpack. So, I don't know. What about you, Werner? Yeah, I think mission has to do with an idea. Um, more and missions has to do with practice and tactics and strategy. Um, mission is about the reason for which God made the world. You know, <laughs> it's, it's that 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 uh, God created the world in a in such a way that he he wants to um, uh, work out his purpose and his story for his glory among the nations. Uh, in cooperation with his people, that this all on this comes under kind of the grand narrative of the mission of God, or as uh, is sometimes referred to as the missio dei in in the Latin. And yeah. so, yeah, I think that's that's the way I think about it. And I think you you've said the same thing, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. So when I when I in this conversation we're talking about missional, we're talking about God's mission as opposed to missions. I would see missions within as as a sub-branch of mission. So mission Mm -hmm. refers to the purpose of God in the world since creation and in which God invites his people to participate. One specific way in which that mission plays out is overseas cross-cultural missions of proclaiming the gospel, so forth. So uh, some people, when they hear missional, they think emergent church. And uh, that is a, a... a group of people who've used that language. I tend to think more in terms of like Leslie Newbigin, Mike Goheen, mm-hmm. um, uh, Christopher Wright. So just give a little context for people. 
John Frank is a uh, a theologian who has actually written a book called Missional Theology, an introduction. Um, and one of the things he says that, uh, I'll just read parts of quotes from his book. It says, the starting point for missional theology is the notion of a missional God. Uh, he says that it means that mission is an attribute of God. And he quotes David Bosch saying, a mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Now, I see that kind of language in a lot of writers, but to me, I'm kind of at a loss for how to respond because I'm, it seems to be an awkward use of language to refer to mission as a quote-unquote attribute of God. Um, you got, Maybe you guys can help me out a little bit. Maybe I'm just not seeing it right. You know, if I think about just the simple statement, 1 John 4, 8, God is love, right? How is that expressed? It's expressed in the work of, of Christ in the incarnation, his life and death and resurrection on the cross for the sins of humanity and for restoring humanity and creation to himself and creating a people uh, who would worship him forever. I mean, the love of God is, you know, love is certainly an attribute of God, but love apart from behavior and intent and purpose seems to be impossible. So it seems like, I don't know if mission can be considered an attribute of God, but it's certainly a derivative of his love. And one could even say it's a derivative of his glory in the sense that he wants to make a name for himself, you know, using uh, the language of uh, the story of his glory and uh, Steve Hawthorne's famous article from the Perspectives Course, you know, that God is in the process of becoming famous among the nations, and he does this through the work of Christ. I mean, there's there is a strong thread of mission that goes along with glory and 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 love when it it seemed my my question i guess to that would be is is saying mission is a an attribute of god would that encompass then his working out of things like promise promises covenants blessings you know I guess I am struggling as well, Jackson, from seeing how mission is an attribute apart from outworkings of that, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I see what these writers are trying to do. They're saying that he is missionally inclined, he is purposeful, he is proactive, he is loving, he's all these things. Uh, and so it may just be the fact that I'm such a grammarian that uh, <laughs> it just seems like awkward, like mission is a thing. like. It's like a right. book. You wouldn't say book is an attribute. You wouldn't say cup is an attribute. I see what they're trying to do. I just think that maybe we could maybe sharpen our language, which I don't quite have a better suggestion. Uh, missionalness. <laughs> <laughs> we say lovingness. We say faithfulness. So if I could make up a word, missionalness. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe that's it. But but that is something that's a little bit of hanging out for people when they get into the literature and they say mission is an attribute of God. What, this seems a little vague and nebulous. So. You know, the word attribute is a limitation in the sense that the word attribute doesn't usually imply a verb. It apply, implies a noun. Mm -hmm. It implies a quality, um, uh, a state of being. Um, and it doesn't imply, <laughs> you know, in the way that we categorize yeah. things in our, in our minds. 
attribute uh, is separate from mm-hmm. behavior. And you know, maybe, maybe in in the Hebrew worldview, where behavior and and uh, uh, doctrine or attribute are really one and the same. Maybe it's okay to think of mission as an attribute of God because you know, in in the being of God, I, I don't yeah. know that you can separate all these things out. Perhaps. So, what we'll to leave that for readers or listeners? Um, I've been writing a lot, so I keep saying readers. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, so let's uh, let's move forward to Hunsberger's. Uh, suggestions for four ways that people uh have a missional hermeneutic four approaches to developing a missional theology and Kerry, i'll just say that i don't think that these approaches are independent i do think they're interconnected but not only that i, I think that there's a sense in which you can link them in a natural sequence mm-hmm. um do you see a sequential nature here or or is you just see like a just simply repetitive within our different names. It feels like a Venn diagram, I think, with an enormous amount of of overlapping space. And I don't know that if you kind of got these four perspectives, if you could, you know, personify them, if you got them in the same room, if they would actually do a ton of disagreeing, I guess is how I'm seeing it. Yeah. I do think though that that uh, to begin with the first one, uh that that we begin with God being a mission, you know, a, a, a God on mission, you know, the missio day, the mission of God, that the Bible is written for the, for, because God is a missional God. We have the Bible because God is on mission. I think, I think one could say that the other three are mm. somewhat derivative yeah. of that. Yeah. So just to be clear for listeners, First one is that the Bible has, or the biblical story has a missional orientation or a missional direction. And as I see it, and maybe I'm interpreting it wrong, but if it's not, then maybe we'll add a fifth one. But the big idea is that the Bible reveals the missional purpose of God and his people. That, that's like, to me, like the thesis of the right. first one. And and I think it's the premise underlying all missional theology anywhere, like whether you're talking about Goheen or Leslie Newbigin or or John Frank or whoever, yeah. it seems like there's no such thing as a missional theology or missional hermeneutic apart from, from that. Yeah. And so the mission of the church stems from the mission of God. And, and one key concept that gets linked in here, just because I don't want people to think that we are trying to develop something uh, so niche or other people are trying to develop something so niche that uh, it's not related. But one of the things... It, really tied to this is this idea of meta-narrative or biblical story. Mm-hmm. And so uh, all these various writers constantly point out that there's a, a uniting factor to the all of Scripture um, that helps us to interpret and find unity and coherence. And that is that uh, God is a God who's been on mission from creation and new creation. And his people have either been on that mission or veered from that mission from beginning and end of that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another kind of a theological category that has become popular that ties directly within this first, you know, um, you know, mindset or frame. I, I think they, it was, wasn't it Leslie Newbegin that says that the Missio Dei is the narrative of the acts of God. He defines it pretty succinctly, mm. I think. And I know, mm. again, going back to, I get to hear Goheen teach on this all, all a lot. 
And he's constantly talking about how Jesus is breaking into the story. And I know N.T. Mm. Wright talks about this a lot as well, this idea of, you know, breaking into the story. And I think it was N.T. Wright that says the New, the New Testament is how the end arrived and then how we should live in light of that. So it's this perspective of a constant kind of breaking into history, which is, you know, mm. our kind of our love for chronological and linear, it challenges that a little bit because you're taking the end and you're putting it into the middle, but then you're living out the rest towards the end. And so, yeah, that I, I don't know. I don't know if that is helpful, but I thought that idea of Missio Dei being the narrative of the acts of God's God helped really kind of summarize where they were going with this. I think, yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. The idea of that, that Christ is breaking into history and uh there's a there's a te- a telos t e l o s you know there's an end to which we are toward which we are moving uh the kingdom of god uh which is already but not yet is sort of the, the future kingdom is breaking mm-hmm. into the present moment i mean this kind of language is um uh it, it is part of the the conversation here um i think what what I really like about the Missio Dei language and this this conversation is that it, on the one hand, it relativizes mm-hmm. human activity uh, because it says, this is all about God. This begins and ends with God. He is the one who motivates. He is the central person in the story. Uh, he is the one that gives the 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 fuel the life, the energy for it all through the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. It's his Bible. It's his word that that uh, that gives us the guidelines and the instructions and, and, and makes it clear what we're heading toward. And uh, in that sense, it lets us know that, uh, you know, God yeah. is above it all and in it all. And, and he is the one that it's directed at and for, you know, Christ is the beginning and end of, of it all. Um, but it, it also, on the other hand, it, it gives us the additional like encouragement and fuel to say, hey, this is something that we can be a part of because it doesn't rely solely on my you know, obedience or my energy or my wisdom. And and I'm participating in something that's much, much larger than myself with other people, with the people of God. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm joining something that's already in motion, that has been in motion for thousands of years. And in that sense, it's really encouraging to the people of God, to, to people like, you know, you and me who are, uh, uh, you know, sometimes intimidated and sometimes feeling weak and, and tired and, you know, are we really making a difference? Yeah. And and in that sense, it's really helpful. Yeah, as I think through this link that you commonly see between like the grand narrative scripture and mission being missional or uh, whatnot, I go, well, what's the link there? Why? And I think that part of it has to do with story and the story of scripture, uh, but any story and it has this inherent uh, purposefulness or to use a bigger word, tele- teleology, teleological nature, that there's an end goal driving it. There's a purpose. You, you know, it's not random. There's a shape yeah. to it. 
whenever we tell a story of any sort, there's something doing that. And so I think recognizing the missional orientation of scripture helps us to be more mindful of thinking through what is the story? Uh, what, uh, how are the stories shaped in scripture? What is our story? How they intersect? Mm -hmm. And when we think of scripture merely in terms of systematics, the uh, abstract categories of doctrine, which are helpful in, in their own way, but, if we think of theology in that in, in those terms, we risk forsaking mission because we leave out context, yeah. we leave out purpose. If we're just saying, "What does the Bible teach about topic mm-hmm. X or topic Y?" Because w- there's an abstraction that naturally happens. Mm-hmm. It's necessary to systematics when you're focusing on a topic. Um, but it also, I think, the idea of story. When we talk about story, we're not talking about storytelling. We're talking about life because life has a story-like yeah. quality to it. Uh, and so I think that also helps us link easier scripture with uh, practicality, practical life, um, because the story nature of scripture fits so much with the story likeness of our life. Yeah, um, I Goheen so. a, a few months ago shared this. He said, your ethics will always be shaped by the story you want to be true. And I thought that was so powerful, mm. Jack, that speaks exactly to what you're saying is that when we strip down scripture to just these kind of single proclamations or these things that are void of a story, we will replace that with Mm. another story then, because we as humans are created to Mm. fit ourselves into some story. And I think Mm. that that, that to me is the real power of seeing, you know, this first point being the missional direction of of the story. And I think there's so much power yeah. in that. I think grasping this first point also frees us from some of the debates about uh, what is the mission of the church. Are, you know, like people say, are we supposed to help the poor? Are we supposed to start churches? Are we supposed to do this task or this task or this task? Which I think loses the, the point because it's like, um, I mean, it's like, do I want to say that tree, this tree, that tree? Well, we're trying to think of a forest here. Right. You know, or I'm trying to think of some other analogy, like the mission of God uh, it refers to his creation purposes for all of humanity, all of society, all of the world, everything. It's not just a, how do you get people, uh, their sins forgiven? Um, that he had a broader purpose than just rescue. Cause keep in mind when we were, we didn't need rescue initially, <laughs> you yeah. know? um, but he's not saving us just from something, but he's saving us for something. And I think thinking through that forness yeah. is what this first part helps us with. I think maybe to wrap this section up, we could maybe say the mission of the church would be then making known and living out the news of the king. Is that fair? I think that's spot on because uh, it does, it is holistic. So the second one uh, is uh, Hunsberger refers to as the missional purpose of, of the scripture or the writing. So I just put it as the Bible has a missional purpose. So the first one to do with is missional orientation, it's missional um, direction. This is it's missional purpose. And what it means, he means by that, I think, is that the Bible intends to equip the church for mission. So the first one is a descriptive statement, who God is, who the church is. The second refers to its intention for its existence is to equip the church for mission. Um, is that how you guys read it? Yeah, I, I really like the idea of the missional re a missional reading of scripture as focused on equipping God's people uh, for 
for mission. And uh, the way I the way I thought about this in practical terms is um, <laughs> I actually created a little chart this morning relative to uh, the Ephesians two project that I'm I'm working on. And under the, the rubric of number one, where it was the overall reading of uh, the, the Missio Day, I thought, okay, under that reading of scripture, um, we're talking about the one new humanity, the one new family, this is, that this is a fulfillment of God's original purpose in Genesis to redeem you know, the human family. Uh, there's temple talk in there. Uh, in verses 21 and 22 of Ephesians 2, which which goes back to the original uh, Genesis uh, uh, vision of 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 humanity created uh, for God's glory and reflecting God's glory, and the, the end of the book of Revelation, you know, all the nations, all the peoples, tribes, tongues, languages, you know, worshiping God. We have the same kind of temple theme uh, there in in the book of Revelation. So you can look at it um, from the standpoint here in this text in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, as being uh, consistent with the overall work of, of God redeeming uh, humankind. But if you think about it from uh, equipping the people of God perspective, uh, then I'm looking at Ephesians 2 and I'm saying, aha, well, this text also equips God's people because it's really emphasizing, you know, the Messiah King is our new source of honor. Uh, it's, it's emphasizing the family of God, the body of Christ as the place where we have our uh, ultimate source of status and that it exposes uh, ethnocentric val uh, uh, values and, you know, majority world, uh, majority culture biases, perhaps. And so I'm thinking about like the text of Ephesians 2 is helping God's people become more effective in actually participating in the cross-cultural, you know, mission enterprise. Uh, so I, this one, I actually have a question about if the assertion in this section that we're going over is that the text is to equip the saints, basically, right? My question is twofold. How does that not get us to a place of being very self-helpy and proof texting? Well, two things. One, uh, it's not self-helping. It's the Bible is helping. You know. Well, but I'm talking uh, about the actual sounds... practical outworkings. If you take this perspective as your driving force, how do you not go, oh, well, then I... Every Sunday when I teach my people, it needs to be a, you know, how to be a better parent, how to be, take care of your money. How do you, how do you not just stay there based on this maybe interpretation? Well, I think, I think, well, I think part of it uh, is that it's that mission that refines it. And so like we're interested in how to do this, how to do that, how to do this. Well, but the mission of God is, is going to constantly be refining what it is that we're trying to help the saints to be because sermons and, and whatever should be helping people to be more mm -hmm. like Christ uh, in their affections, in their actions and their thoughts and their all these different ways. So yes, that is what, what the Bible is supposed to, supposed to do, but this mission reading, I think helps refine it. So it's not just, how do I get a good job? How do I just raise, you know, just how do I get my kids to behave? I mean, those are, 
you know, worthy things to con- con- you know, think about, but they're oriented just on what my agenda is. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think that this reading is more of a thinking through this book was written to have an effect in people's lives. What is the effect it's seeking to have? There's an intentionality here. Whereas when we tend to think theologically, we tend to think, what am I supposed to mm-hmm. know? Um, what, well, this is a, what is the effect this is supposed to be having yeah, I agree in with our lives? Uh, there's there's definitely um, a link here with the original or the, the first missional hermeneutic, if you will, that focuses on the overall story, the mission of God. And if the mission of God is true, and if we're here on a stage to, as the people of God, participate with God on a mission that is global, local and global, uh, then uh, there are necessary implications to us in terms of our attitudes, in terms of our behaviors, in terms of how we live our lives, in terms of how we relate to people who are other than us, uh, in terms of how we express, how we live out community. Mm. And and uh, so I, I, I guess I'm reinforcing the link between the first mm-hmm. and the second <laughs> missional reading. Well, let me, let, me, let me approach this way. When we think about, for example, reads this random chapter in, in Daniel, Daniel 6 or whatever, Daniel 7, whatever. Uh, that chapter is not designed to, how do I help my kids you know do this or that better uh instead my job when i read the book of daniel should be well why was this written not just me was meant to be no what am i supposed to know about this but what is the effect uh in our lives that it was designed to bring into reality uh it aimed for something had some purpose for being written uh whether it be to encourage to challenge to rebuke to uh direct in this manner of living or that manner of living i think that's what this second missional reading aspect is getting at carrie what do you think yeah i mean i think that i guess because i have a lot of experience with being a part of christian bodies what was just very very attuned to what are we supposed to do with this passage and it was always it was always conveniently aimed towards me and you know middle class America and I remember just always feeling that tension of gosh is that what what was actually happening and you know take Daniel six or seven is Mm. that actually something we should take away from this and and so I struggled with this one because of that Mm. because I think it's it seems as if it would lean towards that but maybe I'm just not fully understanding what they're trying to communicate in this one no i think i I get now i'm seeing more what you're saying um and i think that the fourth point is going to maybe help that so i may put a pause on that and then when we get to four see if that fourth point actually helps get to your question here you know you talk about how do you prevent it from being self-helpy i think this fourth aspect of missional reading fourth type of missional hermeneutic may be answering your question so well, a little, a little foreshadowing for readers or listeners who, uh, uh, you know, who have the same question. So can we go to the yeah, third one? All right. The third type of missional reading or not uh, refer is, is this, that the Bible is interpreted in cultural context. That is, uh, readers of the Bible, listeners of the Bible have a 
have a place, a locatedness in which they are uh, called to participate in God's mission and in which they read the text uh, with its missional purpose. Um, and so I'm looking at a few quotes because this has come across a little nebulous. And uh, so a few quotes here I got uh, from Hunsberger. The approach required for faithful reading of the Bible is from the missional location of the Christian community. In other words, I think he's saying that we need to take seriously the location or context of interpreters themselves. Um, Hunsberger says one typical question here is, how should the church read the Bible faithfully today? Um, so, you know, I have some reservations and also some enthusiasm about this point. Um, but do you think I'm interpreting him right? I'm hoping that one of these times I'm misreading him so that maybe I can go, look at me. I had a, <laughs> I had a thought that it's not here. I can add it. <laughs> am I reading, am I reading this, understanding this third aspect, right? Well, Jackson, this gets back to uh, a point that you often make in your writings and in that we have made another podcast, and that is that uh, contextualization begins with interpretation. <laughs> so every interpreter of scripture is being influenced to some degree by their own cultural context. And uh, Hunsberger, I think, is just making the point that that if we are alert to that reality, then we are more likely to be open to how the Bible may challenge some of the mm. assumptions that we have in our mm. cultural context. Mm. If we're not looking for the Bible to simply uh, reinforce or to baptize what we already believe about what's normal for Christianity, what's normal for our community or the way that we live our lives. Um, uh, if we're open to the idea of the Bible challenging our, our, you know, status quo or our presuppositions, then I think uh, from that standpoint, this becomes, uh, this can be a very helpful and important reading uh, of, of the Bible um, because all of us are living in a particular mm. context and it's, it's called, uh, sometimes it's referred to the world in front of the text, mm. right? We're, we're all living in a particular kind of world with challenges, you know, uh, problems, anxieties, inconsistencies, failures, um, and, uh, you know, sin within, sin without, um, we're, we're victims of, of different kinds of forces in the world, and, and the Bible speaks to those realities, if the Bible is truly alive and the Word of God. Do, so see, another question. <laughs> Do you think that this one is giving people permission to not ask interpretive questions of people outside of their natural community. I'm not sure does that, if anything, it might actually uh, awaken people to the utter necessity of bringing people in with other social locations. Because you all of a sudden realize that I'm in this spot, they're in that spot, mm -hmm. uh, that if we are to see how God is at work in the world, then I inherently am limited so therefore, I must bring other people into the conversation. I must read people from other countries, cultures, life experience, and so forth. 
Uh, so rather than giving people permission, it's simply to say, hey, you have this inherent limitation. And so therefore your reading is valuable and necessary, but it will be limited as valuable as it is. Mm-hmm. I think I think mm-hmm. it's doing the opposite. Okay. Because if I, yeah, if I, I say it, you're I here and not there. Yeah, if I say, I, if, if we say I'm here and you're there, and then I have to figure out, well, what does being there entail, right? If the Bible uh, talks about God's mission for the whole world, I'm only in this part of the world. Well, what might God's, how might God's mission manifest in that part of the world? I'm sorry, Werner, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I was just saying, yes, it does, it does reflect the fact that whatever reading of scripture we have, it comes it, that there's a limitation, uh, that we, we do not read the Bible from a neutral uh, position mm-hmm. uh, culturally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so acknowledging that limitations means, hey, it would be good to read or to listen to other voices from other time periods, from other places in the world, if if that's possible. Now, the one of the things I hear sometimes missional theologians speak of is is on this point. And at the same time, I celebrate. At the same time, I get really wary. Ironically, it's the very same thing people get nervous about in my writing. And so, I'll say this. I'll read a quote from uh, Pablo Richard. He's a Latin American theologian. Yeah. In the article, it's on page 315. Here's the quote. It says, This space makes a certain interpretation of the Bible proper to that place and different from those other interpretations made in other hermeneutical places. Our interpretation of the Bible depends on the place where we find ourselves. Okay, so it kind of rephrase that. That is, there is a certain interpretation of the Bible that's proper to being here, and there's another interpretation that's proper to being there, and that your interpretation there can be proper and mine can be proper. And so there's two proper interpretations. So interpreting the Bible depends on the place where we find ourselves. That, yeah, that, that, the problem there is it, it, you're, you're bordering on relativism mm-hmm. there, right? Yes, it's reader response. And the problem is that depending on how you, what you mean by that, I could either celebrate with you or I could go, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, this is the exact same criticisms and concerns that people express about my work. And so what I would say is that, yes, you could have two proper readings of the same text from different locations, uh, but as long as they're complementary, not contradictory, and so that maybe you're highlighting different aspects of the text because of where you're at, that you notice certain things because you're there that I don't notice because I'm here, right? That makes sense? And so I'm okay with that. But, uh, and so, yes, our interpretation will depend on the place we're at. doesn't mean our interpretation is right. Um, our theology does depend. Or it doesn't mean, or, or, yeah, or it doesn't mean that it's, 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 um, it's the total <laughs> yes. and last word on the interpretation of that text. You know, um, I, I like the idea that we're in an ongoing conversation, mm about the eternal yeah. word of God, mm. you know, that biblical truth is always larger and greater than what we uh, know at this point, you know, and we'll never exhaust the riches of scripture, but we're always moving toward a, a better understanding and hopefully living out a more faithful mm-hmm. understanding of, 
of who Christ is as the word. Yeah. Of God. And this one, just to maybe wrap up this section, this one to me felt the most limiting to that, what you just said, Werner, because whether we like it or not, either you're going to say, oh yeah, this is our interpretation or hermeneutic. This is theirs over there. Isn't that great? We can relativize it, right? You said, oh, these are all good in- interpretations. That might be one leaning. The other leaning is, we, this is the way we interpret it, and this is the right way to interpret it. And the, these people over here mm-hmm. are a little off. I think it also, it tribalizes interpretation as well, is what it feels mm-hmm. like to me when this this idea of this locatedness of the readers. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. to me to foster that type of communication, unless I am misunderstanding mm-hmm what he's trying to get at because i think you're absolutely right Werner. we should be in constant communication with people in different locations and different economic statuses and and those things and it seems to limit that i think yeah and i think it's a sober point i don't think it's an aspirational point here it's simply saying that um if you want to get a whole robust understanding of scripture then you have to recognize your locatedness yeah. so that you actually get in conversation right. Um, yeah. And so uh, the I, I think my takeaway on this one is that he's saying that if a missional reading acknowledges this, that context matters, specifically cultural context and community. What community are yeah. you in? What culture and subculture are you in? Those are all going to matter for how well you interpret scripture, how complete you interpret scripture. And the fact is that none of us are going to uh, have a theology that perfectly overlaps with biblical yeah, truth. Yeah. There's always going to be overlap, but it's not going to yeah. be perfect. All right. The fourth. Mm-hmm. And this is consistent yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah. Uh, just one, one, one point. This is consistent with the, just the simple reality that who Jesus is, we, you know, until we get to heaven, you know, we'll, mm-hmm. we will never perfectly mimic or live out the life of Christ in in our own personal lives or our in our own communities. The life of Jesus always mm-hmm. challenges who we are. And in the same way, the word of God always mm-hmm. challenges who we are. And and uh sometimes when I think about the word of God, we can think about, yeah, there's this book, it's got ink on paper. Uh but the ultimate revelation isn't the ink on paper. The ultimate mm. revelation mm. is the person of Christ. And, you know, that's also the ultimate destination of the story is, is knowing Christ, him glorified, you know, having, uh, uh, <laughs> having yeah. eternal fellowship with the King of Kings and the so Lord of Lords. Let's, uh, so let's it, uh, tie these together sense. before we did the fourth one. The first one is that the Bible has a missional orientation. God has a, uh, a mission since creation, and the church is called to join that mission. Two, the Bible is given and revealed and exists uh, to equip the church for this mission. That is the third one. Keep in mind that we are mission. There's a mission in the world. The Bible is interpreted within cultural and community context. You know, we there, we have a locatedness, a situation. So. We also interpret the Bible from this perspective as people who are joining God in that part, a very specific part of the mission, in that specific part of the mission. So this is the fourth one. 
the way I understand, because this was a little bit harder for me to get my hands around until I reread it maybe for the fourth time. And that's uh, the Bible engages culture. It addresses, confronts, uh, interacts with culture. Um, it's speaking to culture. And so the big idea, as I put it, I use contextualization language. I said, uh, I think he's saying is this, that the biblical writers contextualize the church's mission in their context. And from their example, we can glean wisdom for doing the same thing in our context. I think that's what he's getting at, is that the Bible, its manifestation, it is a demonstration of contextualization of the church's mission. And just like that demonstrates, so we can mimic that and imitate that contextualization that of mission. How did I do from your compared to what you read? I love the fact that when we see the Bible, when we see the authors of Scripture using Scripture from the Old Testament, for example, New Testament authors using Old Testament Scripture to make the message of the gospel more relevant to the communities that they're communi- that they're relating to. For example, the way uh, the Apostle Paul uses Isaiah in in the book of Romans. Uh, he's contextualizing scripture to relate to the church in Rome in a way that amplifies the role of God's mission to the Gentiles. And so this was one of the more exciting things for me in my journey of learning about honor, shame, and contextualization is that the Bible, the authors of scripture actually do a lot of contextualization mm-hmm. in, in their writings to to make the Bible relevant and also to challenge traditional prevailing notions of you know who the people of God are or or, or what the people of God should look like and um, and you know it it it, it, uh, it subverts the traditional notions. Uh, that sometimes religious people have about what it means to be accepted by God and salvation and you know nature of sin and so forth. And so contextualization is not something just that we do with the Bible. It's something that we find in the Bible uh, used by the authors of Scripture themselves. Carrie, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, I'm trying to... Yeah, it seems like what he is getting at is that... I do like how he is, I guess in one sense, this one feels really similar to the first one we talked about where this big grand story, because from my understanding is that he is really drawing a lot on why are the New Testament authors referring to these specific Old Testament stories or people or scriptures or whatever. And so it, but it doesn't, but maybe he doesn't focus as much on this grand story of scripture but more of a, what are they doing? What are the New Testament writers doing in order to communicate to the people back then, but also to us? Is that is that right? Am I understanding that correctly? Well, I think the first one is more of a uh, an umbrella statement that this is who God is, this is who the church is, pure, it's descriptive, it's big and broad. I think this is more of a, how did they tease this out in practice in the New Testament? And then we look at their example, uh, you know, how they did it practically in, in scripture. And then we go off oh, from the way they did it. We can glean how we can be mm-hmm. missional. So I think 
this is the the practice, the practical outflow of one. So the mm-hmm. word he uses a few times is the New Testament provides a paradigm yeah. uh, that we can draw on, so we can think mm-hmm. how how to uh, engage culture uh, to be the church. Because if this is how the church did, then we can see there are certain you know common dynamics, uh, whether it be confronting the powers that be. Uh, whether it be prioritizing the community, uh, there's all kinds of uh, aspects of their ministry that we, uh, you know, can adopt and take on. How does that? How does that resonate with you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think in the the bottom part of the article, I like how he talks about the gospel exhibiting these structural features. He goes on to say that it's making a claim. It presents itself as world news, and then it opens up a way. And I think that's a helpful way, because you can't do that void of understanding the Old Testament, right? So when you talk about it being a a paradigm, I think that's a helpful way of of looking at the gospel. Yeah, uh, holding out a claim. uh, In that same quote I looked at, you were talking about, it says, the gospel summons to allegiance and a decision. It's a it's a call to loyalty and new identity. Mm-hmm. And that right there, that was in the Old Testament, that's in the New Testament, and that's one of the aspects of mission that is indispensable for ours. It's one of the practical components. This communal dynamic, uh, embedding ourselves and investing ourselves in a community, uh, the community of the people of God. Uh, it's, you know, that that's one. It, it's not culturally bound, Um it's it's a global thing, you know. So going beyond our our, our conventional horizons, our local horizons, mm-hmm. these are all components that we go, yeah, okay. Now, how do we do that? I think it's really interesting how when we explore these dynamics of contextualization or different perspectives, or you know, how does this uh, reading of scripture look to you versus my reading of scripture or, a, you know, the, that reading of the text from a different cultural perspective or a different time in history? What that allows us to, to do is to actually get closer to the universal mm-hmm. demands of scripture. You know, it, it allows us to be in conversation in such a way that, that what's local and contextual and you know unique to the particular moment in time and and community um uh that that can be differentiated from what is what ought to be truly universal to the people of god and um like this concept of loyalty Mm. i think we sort of de-emphasize that you know in in modern evangelicalism, because we're so individualistic, you know, loyalty to 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 Christ as King, loyalty to the body of Christ as our ultimate source of of identity and honor. Um, th- these dynamics have been true throughout history, and by realizing that in our own context we tend to de-emphasize that, it actually gives us a way to be more open to the to the broader universal aspects of the word of god and the and the body of christ and 
and who God mm. wants us to be in our own cultures. There's a kind yeah. of a, a paradox. There. Yeah, it's you tempting I mean? when you hear these four proposals and go, which one do I like? I want to go a little bit more of that kind of a missional reading or that kind of missional reading. But really, these are complementary. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. And um, I think that Hunsberger's mm-hmm. survey reminds us about what's at stake when we think about the relationship between biblical interpretation and mission or missions. Um, I think so. a lot of so-called missional churches in practice tend to be apathetic towards cross-cultural missions. And so people get, and I'm certain people listening to this will get nervous about us using missional language, thinking it's a slippery slope to neglecting cross-cultural missions. But, uh, you know, mental habits are hard to break. But, you know, I want to emphasize to people that uh, this conversation helps us in missions mm-hmm. as well within yeah. us. Missions is a subset of God's mission. So we sometimes reduce missions to only, let's say, getting people saved, so to speak, getting people forgiven, whereas God's mission is a global one. So whatever God's mission is where we're at, all those components are going to be there and there and there and there, whether it be developing a holistic, healthy communities, whether it be uh, combating evil in all its forms, you know, so forth and so on. helping people understand uh, uh, scripture, not just en- enough to do a gospel presentation. It's going to be holistic and robust. So I think that if, if people are still thinking that we're talking about something other than missions, then they're misunderstanding us. We're talking about God's mission, which includes missions. Uh, so, you know, kind of wrapping our conversation up a bit, I want to make sure we get, get that clear. Um, you guys have any closing thoughts? I do have a book recommendation, but I wanted to make sure, you know, I had you guys say, if you had any closing thoughts. I just have one closing thought, Jackson, and that is the purpose of this conversation is to reinforce, (laughs) at least in my mind, the authority of Scripture relative Mm. to the mission of the church. You know, that that we're not trying to water it down. We're, (laughs) we're We're not trying to minimize missions or minimize, you know, the missional nature of the people of God, we are trying to uh, reinforce it and to uh, acknowledge that, hey, here's different right. four different perspectives that are very syner- that are synergistic, that right. fall under the grand uh, umbrella, if you will, of the mission of God in the world, and that it's helpful to think of it in these these four ways, that there's real synergy, and it ends up giving us an actually more robust missional reading of the Bible that, that yeah, that just reinforces the, the Word of God uh, uh, for the mission yeah, of the church. Yeah, that's a good point. It makes it fun. The Bible would be more practical than people sometimes think the Bible yeah. is. Carrie? Uh, no, yeah, I, I think this is great. I think it should all you know challenge the way that we what one we lean into it, i think it's pretty clear <laughs> where i lean and so i have some blind spots as well at the very end of the article he says you know each of these kind of frameworks each depends on and begs for the other accents so i think he's just spot on mm. well uh i'll uh, finish out with a book recommendation I think that, of course, anything by Mike Goheen, I'm also partial, I think is really helpful in this conversation. But a good place to start out is a, a book that Mike Goheen edited called Reading the Bible Missionally. And it brings together a whole host of uh, 
of excellent writers like uh, Richard Bauckham. Uh, this George Hunsberger article is actually revamped and made into a chapter here. Uh, Craig Bartholomew, John Frank, Christopher Wright, N.T. Wright, Joel Green. I mean, it's like a who's who. Oh, Dean Fleming. It's like a who's who of writers demonstrating uh, what a missional hermeneutic is, uh, what a missional theology uh, couldn't be. And so that would be the place I would say go to. Uh, I mean, just the first few chapters would be worth the price of the book themselves. So, all right. Well, we'll close up here. Um, if uh, this is new to you, uh, then, hey, bring up this conversation uh, with some friends and, and begin a conversation because if the whole Bible is written from a missional perspective, God has a mission that drives our history, well, then we want to be talking about it. Um, if uh, you like this podcast, this conversation, go uh, like us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you read this. Subscribe. Let other people know about it. All right. Thanks so much. Keep the conversation going. Thank you.